All right. Hey there, everybody. It's your boy, Marcus Holmes, the blended family guy with my amazing wife, Crystal Holmes. Why don't you say, why don't you say hello to the, to the. Good evening, everyone. everyone. How, How is everyone this evening? I hope we all are having a great evening like we are. How are you doing today? I'm having a great day. How was your week? It was a good week. Just a long week. But it was a long week? Mm -hmm. Okay. It well, was a quick week, but it was. It just seemed like it was quick and long. It'd be quick and long at the same time. Yeah, but the Astros won, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, boom, boom. Y'all see that? 2017 champions. He we won. He for his, though, y'all. Yeah, yeah, we we stood in line for six hours for this hat. That's right. That's right. That's what we do. I hadn't done anything ridiculous like that in a long time. Yeah. So we just thought we'd join the late night bandwagon. So that was fun. Yeah, six hours worth of fun. Mm -hmm. 1130 to 530 a.m. We wanted to join in the hysteria. In Dick's Sporting Goods. You got it. You got it. So um, wanted to to really let you guys know that we're so happy that you're you're either watching live or the rebroadcast, but give you a little background on the blended family guy. What we are wanting to do is help blended families, whether it's the traditional blended family, kids from a, uh, you're in a new relationship, you have children from a prior relationship and you're bringing them into a new one, or if you're um, adopting across, um, and bringing a new person into the family. All those things are what the blend is about. It's about work-life harmony, work-life balance. All of those things come into play in having a successful family. So our goal is to continue to push the envelope, help provide resources so that you can do all you can do to be the best family you can be. And so we have some really great uh, topics. Um, we're very transparent. We're trying to teach you from our mistakes so you know um, how to survive and, and not only survive, but to thrive. Um, anything else on top of that, Crystal? No, just that's what it's all about. Okay. Being open and transparent. Open so. and transparent. Real. Okay, so today's show is going to be, I think, a, a pretty amazing one. This is the first time we've had a special guest. And the gentleman's name is Brian He's Jones. Brian Jones, he, um, I went to school with Brian at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University's Aggie Pride. Aggie Pride. Homecoming uh, on Earth, best marching band in the world. Best that's homecoming. Pride for you. So um, that's where I met Brian, great guy, does a great deal of work in the school system, but he is also a foster parent. Now, I want to say this because this is, this is where the talk is going to center. Brian is single. So he is a bachelor, ladies. So if there's any, any, any ladies out there that are good, good. And, and I'm talking about good in terms of you understand that this gentleman believes in responsibility, accountability, and operating by the Bible's standards um, he is a foster parent and he is a great one at that. I believe, Brian, what over the last, uh, what, let's just say, what, 10, 15 years you've been a foster parent. How many kids do you think have um, lived with you over that course of time? What, 15, 20, 30? It's, it's got to be 30 by now. 30. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, 
We're going to go ahead and bring Brian in, uh, people. Um, and Brian uh, and people, just to let you know, the point of today's show, we're going to be talking about adoption, which is one part of being a blended family. But we're also going to be talking about adoption when you're adopting across racial lines or ethnic lines, right? So Brian, um, and I, I know he has to be in the very small percentage of black parents that have adopted outside of their race, which I think is just, wow. I, I think it's, 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 it's a pretty cool dynamic and that's why we wanted to have him on the show. So this is going to be pretty, this is going to be pretty amazing. I'm, I'm excited about this. So great topic. We want your questions. Come on through. This is going to be some good stuff. So I want to go ahead and bring Brian into the show. And if you know someone that would be impacted by this, please tell them to get on right now. That's right. That's right. To be good. That's right. That's right. This is about to be good. So here, let me watch out, babe. We got to get a little closer. I need you to get a little closer, a little closer. There we go. There we go here. Let's do it this way. <laughs> Thank you, honey. All right, there we go. I think now they got us both. Now they got us both on this one, honey. That's the one they look at. So, um, all right, Brian. So give us a little background about yourself, why you decided to become a foster parent. Um, first off, what, what brought you to want to start doing that? Well, I've been in the school system for 16 years. Um, the way I started out was, of course, as I still am, a school social worker. So around about the second or third year, um, some coworkers and myself noticed that kids were snatched up due to um, either a parent dying, um, something happening within the family where DSS had to get involved. And on many occasions, despite what we're used to seeing on TV shows like The Waltons and uh, <laughs> Little House on the Prairie, yeah. it's not easy to take children in your home and to get DSS to allow that. So what happened was one child in particular who was really going through, um, after he was moved, did not want to be moved, did not want to live with family. Um, a few of us, one teacher was already doing foster care and the rest of us decided to have a conversation and said we would do the same. So, of course, you know, the average teacher works two jobs. Although I'm not a teacher, I'm still considered an educator. So, uh, long story short, I said, why not? I would prefer to come home and work in my home than to continue to go and work um, retail, whether that be in the mall, whether that be um, or fast food or whatever the case may be. So, I decided to start doing um, adoption. And that is how it came about. And that was like 13 years ago. Wow. The first one was like, it was like a two-fold. I mean, you know, there's income that's involved in this, but then also at the same time, it's about um, the decision to bring in children into your home with, and I think first the passion was because number one, you saw something. You saw right. something at school, but being around these children, because I never even thought about and I think that's so powerful. I never even thought about death. Like when something like that happens in a home and then the children have to be dispersed because, you know, there isn't a secondary or, or maybe like a plan wasn't put in place. So that's making me say something right now that, you know, we as parents, we need to think about those Absolutely. plans in advance because we don't want our children 
Uh oh. To be put in a situation where it is not, um, uh, first of all, where it, it may not be up to them because of their age, you know, where they don't have the choice or where maybe the person that is secondary or second in command, I guess you say, in the household may not mean them the best, you know? And because of the system, because you didn't put something in place on paper um, or legal, you just get in a situation where these children are now having to be under the, like you said, you know, the foster system. So that's right. Absolutely. And Marcus, just to clarify something, she made a good point. Um, I don't just do foster care. I do private foster care. So the income is a little bit different. Um, one, oh. of the problems, one of the things that keeps people from doing foster care or adoption is the lack of support. Um, so a lot of people are discouraged. So because I was going to do um, foster care, I decided to do the private simply because um, it gave more income. So some of the kids that I was taking in, the income provided an opportunity for me to expose them to things that I couldn't do on a teacher's salary. Exactly. Ah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you, no, no, and, and see, so, so y'all, y'all have to understand. Brian has a a a house full of kids, but Brian, I, I want to take it a step further. Um. Now there might be a little feedback. I don't know if do you have me on your on um I'm wondering if I'm hearing a little feedback. That might be it. I think it sounds better. Um I want to know, Brian, what took you from having all these foster kids, right, that that you've cared for over the years, what brought you to wanting to adopt James? Ooh, um well, you know James, <laughs> um, but everyone else does not. Um, it was the easiest decision wow. in, the, in the very beginning, simply because when he first came, it, it was divine. I consider it divine intervention. Um, not to go into detail, but you know, I knew at some point in time I was going to adopt someone, but the first week that he came, um, there was a difference with him than many of the other kids. Um, but the number one reason, which I always tell people is because I knew that if I let him go and stay in the system, Mm -hmm. he he would not speak up for himself that he was prone to be abused. Mm -hmm. Um, he depended so much on me, um, and so much on, on my mom at that time, um, that just the thought of him going somewhere else, um, and being violated, just, it was, I felt too much guilt, too much conviction. So I made up the mind before DSS ever offered, um, mm-hmm. before the guardian at Lightham ever spoke with me. I made up my mind that if he is up for adoption, I'm going to keep him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how that came about. Wow. Um, so, Brian and Chris, did you have any questions? Did you well, have a question? I mean, yes, I sure. was I was just thinking about, um, you know, just random things for people who may be on here that are just not. They don't they don't have a lot of knowledge about the foster system. Maybe, you know, there's a mother and father on here that have, you know, biological children they birth together. Maybe there's someone on here who's never had children and never even considered um, fostering. Or maybe there's someone on here who has. And I think what you do is you bring such a wealth of knowledge and information. And since we've known you, there has been so much, uh, you know, because this was not an easy journey. You are sitting here with us 
And I don't want people to think that we're talking to someone who, oh, this was just, oh, you know, he's adopted a child and oh, it was just flowers everywhere. And every child that came to his home, yeah, was just fine. And, you know, it was like Orphan Annie is a hard knock life day, but they were all sweet and they didn't have issues. But um, I can just remember when we would get together at Christmas and come down and, you know, when we would exchange yeah. conversations and I would just be like, wow, when I think about um, the effects of the abuse and what you had, what you had to then take. So in other words, someone came to you uh, from a previous experience of some type of just, you know, ridiculous abuse, whether it be verbal or physical and emotional abuse, you know, and then they're coming in and you're because of the household and the way that you structure your home and the loving environment that you provide, it was almost like a detox for them if they were able to receive that. But that detox is just like when you hear about any drug addict, it's not easy because you hear about it. And I just remember all the, you know, different things that went on and, and, you know, but I believe that you, I mean, you, you planted so many seeds, man. I think about, gosh, I mean, it was extreme even to build up to, where we are now with James, um, you know, so it's it's not an easy journey. And I, I look forward to you authoring your first book about this whole journning, because Absolutely. I believe what you're going to do, just thought I plug that in there, is you're going to really help people to even, you know, have a heart to reach out, you know, for children. When you think about, I mean, the death thing, I'm still, I'm still on that. Because I guess yeah. that's something that I just didn't consider that, oh my goodness, you know, when you, hear about a tragedy, you automatically assume, oh, the children are okay. No, right. not, not always the case. That's right. You know, Brian, so when you when you adopted James and you took that, that and, and I say it's a leap of faith because the Bible says that, you know, we are to take care of the widowed and the, 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 the orphans, right? And um, how did how did it make you feel? One, you 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 had done a plethora of foster kids and you still are. So for those of you out there, Brian, even though he's adopted James, he is still having foster kids um, come through his home and he's providing a haven of rest, mm -hmm. a, a haven of safety. But Brian, I want to ask you the real stuff. I want to ask you the real stuff. Hey there, Ebony, how are you doing? Ebony, Ebony. We got a fellow Aggie on the line and Brian That's Jones. Ebony. I know Ebony was not an Aggie. Did not was, mess that no, up. but 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 no, I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is I'm I'm an Aggie and okay. I have a fellow Aggie oh, on the line. Okay. Ebony. I know I know what? Ebony went to UNCG. UNCG. <laughs> oh, she's the other Ebony. <laughs> All right. So so Ebony, no, seriously, glad to have you on. Um talking about a really serious topic. I think that really a lot of people don't don't understand or don't want to talk about right. <laughs> so so Ebony says she's no Aggie. Okay, Ebony. All right, I got you. I got you. All right, I, I get it. Smart and spirit. All right. So so <laughs> Brian, um, how did when you let the foster care system know that you were wanting to adopt James? What 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 kind of um, how did that go? What was the dialogue like? What did that dynamic look like? Um, and, and guys, I think everybody on the show can see Brian is an African-American brother. 
James is Caucasian. He's white. Love James. He's 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 our nephew. All right. Brian, when he comes into town, Houston to visit, brings James, James's family. That's like that's like my son. That's my nephew. He's family. That's how we treat him. And so, Brian, I want to know how did you how did you manage that? And, and, and first off, before, how did you manage it? What tell us what types of things you faced when you let the world know, right, that you were wanting to adopt James? Mm, well, uh, many um, um, you hear the feedback? Yeah. Nope, you're good. Okay, okay. Well, I'm well, getting I'm feedback. Getting Is that okay? No, you're fine. We you you sound okay. clear as a whistle. Okay, so James t- actually James came to me August the second, six years ago. My family reunion was two days later, so the whole family met him after being with me for two days. That made it easy. That was the easiest transition um, mm-hmm. for the whole family to come and see James. And so James basically grew with the family because the family had just reconnected. And this was maybe the second family reunion that we have had since the 80s. So that transition, believe it or not, was easy. That was that, that was nothing but God. James is 15. He will be 16 December uh, 6. OK, so you said six years ago, so he was about 10. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah. So um, that that part was easy. However, um, in the school system, um, I had friends. I had associates uh, in the community. I believe everybody was cool with it. Maybe one or two relatives um, may have said to think about it, mm-hmm. um, which of course none of them say anything now. Um, I can't say any of my colleagues. Um, had a problem with it. Um, I just got to be honest, um, but dealing with DSS was a task because although it was a, although I worked for a private agency, he was in DSS custody then and it was challenging. Um, His social challenges. Yeah. His social worker, um, the situation was very nitpicking. It it was just a lot of nitpicking um, to the point to where I felt like they didn't want me to adopt him. Um, and I became um, quite angry um, and I asked on several occasions. So I had to actually um, ask my agency to find out why so much um, inquiry into every little thing that I'm doing. Um, the other thing is what was really challenging. And I, and I hope I'm I hope I'm answering your question. No, you are. Go ahead. Yeah, this is. Yeah. The agency actually told me <laughs> I'm putting them out there. Now, mind you, I got a lot of good friends at DSS especially here in my county. But this person in particular tried to tell me how I was going to run my life. So they actually told me that if I was dating, that if James didn't like them, that I need to take that in consideration. What single parent doesn't know that? <laughs> what single parent is not grown um, and doesn't know that already? And then had the audacity to say, because it was one that he did not like, um, well, you got to take that in consideration. You might need to think about you know, moving on. So they overstepped their boundaries on many occasions. Um, mm. So it made me second guess, do I want to take this kid? Because he is a child. Um, am I going to be under this scrutiny simply because he is white? Because again, I could not come to any conclusion why so much um, scrutiny. Any and everybody else that I know that's been adopted in the neighborhood, whether it was interracial adoption, whether it was um, their own race, um, I never heard of such nitpicking. So it was difficult. It was my own trial, so to speak. 
Interesting. Interesting. Because so, I, I was already thinking, I said, well, was it because of because um, the adoption was it? Has it been three years now or how long has it been? You know, I really don't know. Simply because um, simply because he was mine from <laughs> he was mine from day one. Well, I guess because I'm, I'm just trying to pinpoint like his age. Because then again, you know, I'm thinking like, was he 13? He was, I think he was, he was nine like about, at the time, right? You said you had him six years, so no, he was nine. when the adoption was official, oh, I think he was like 13. Okay. Okay. I think he was around that age, 13 or 14, because I remember. Mm -hmm. what, no, she, I think she's right. It was, it was, yeah. it was, it was in October. Yeah. In October. But, but let, and let me tell you, because being a male, and I said I wouldn't forget, but I've already forgotten what year it was. But again, he was already so um, entwined, um, right. intertwined into the family. That I just, I just wanted the court procedure to finish. Um, parents' rights being violated, I mean violated, being terminated. Um, once all that ended, then they had an appeal. So it stayed for a good year and a half. And then, of course, you had to go. So yeah, everything was lasted for a year and a half. Then you had to go through the legal um, procedure. Once you're given the okay, go forth. So um, I'm not quite sure why it took so long, but it took a very long time. Interesting. And I mean, you know, we don't want to make assumptions here, but we just know that, I mean, we're we're dealing with an interesting blend here. We're dealing with a blend that doesn't normally get discussed a lot. That's right. Um, or even on social media, you know, there's a lot of conversations about celebrities, um, you know, that are Caucasian adopting, you know, races that are outside of their own, you know, whether it be Asian or African-American or someone adopting African from Africa, or, you know, like not American, yeah. but from another country. But you never hear of this situation, Brian. You never really hear, especially as a male, uh, that you are coming in and fathering another male. And this male is not African-American. And and you are highly qualified in so many ways, not only to father. And we know that from, you know, out of relationship, because I said, my God, I mean, the counseling background that you've had. And, and you know, I believe every like, even when I went into like being a teacher, you know, they told us teachers are counselors, you know. But a lot of times, you know, a lot of teachers don't want to counsel now. But back in the day, teachers were counselors, like they had the opportunity to really get to know their kids. And I think you really had a chance to get to know a lot of kids and you still are, but then it's helped in a huge way, you know, other elements of your life to be able to just pour in and, and, and really help them. Now it's look, we're doing the same thing. Majors over here. <laughs> look, I'm he's sorry. Over here trying to go in his Halloween so, candy. I'm about to throw that away. So y'all, It's about to get thrown away. Cause he knows he's only supposed to have three pieces and that's it. So, so y'all so just know this is a real show. Yes. Our son, we, he's, he's sneaking, he's sneaking, sneaking Halloween candy. That's why I said we were going to take he, the he thinks, bucket he and thinks trade I'm it. not going to stop this show and, and talk to him about him trying to sneak candy. So I just want y'all to know, look, this is a household. We are not, we don't try to portray perfect. Our son is right here uh, begging for some this Halloween candy and that's it. He's been trying to sneak uh, while we've been on the Facebook Live. But, but Brian, question. Look, how, how do you manage the, the dynamic, right? Tell, tell us, I think you had shared with us earlier that James, he feels safe. Mm -hmm. And and I think the, the, the point I want to make is, Brian, it shouldn't matter 
what race a child is. Children need love. Children don't see color. We as adults are the ones who see color. We're the ones who teach hate and racism. But a child just wants safety. So help us out with that because I think there's sometimes there's this um, tendency, there's this underlying um, thought stream that, you know what, if you're black, then you ought to be adopting black. And if you're white, you ought to be adopting white. And I think that's so far from what God would have us because God didn't say you need to be adopting your own race in the Bible. He just said, take care of the children. Yes. Yes. Suffer the little children and forbid them not. So Brian, tell me how, if somebody is out there listening and they're black and they want to adopt outside of their race or they're white and they want to adopt outside of the race, what coaching could you provide them? What, what, what's a, a few points of power that you could give them? Well, you know, one of the, one of the main concerns whenever you talk about adoption and you talk about um, more than one race, everyone is always worried. Um, will they raise a child according to their own experience, which what parent doesn't do that? Um, will you let them be true to their race, true to their culture? And so that in and of itself was a challenge, but not as hard as people think it would be. Um, so take, for example, um, I wasn't going to raise them to be black. Um, but mind you, he has asked a few times, can he be black? Um, that's what a child does, right? Um, 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 when children begin to notice that there's a difference, they ask, well, why can't we be this or why can't we all be the same? So um, the the hard part about it, um, <laughs> the hardest part about it was me doing his hair. Let's just be real, Marcus. <laughs> as, a, as a man, I tried the best I could with his hair. Um, um, I, let me tell you, my friends have called me out on several occasions um, because I wasn't doing the right thing, but he didn't know that conditioning was not the same thing as shampoo. So you have to deal, it's, you, it's the same thing you deal with other parents when they call you and say, you know, your child is over here doing this, or your child um, came out of the house dressed like this. It's the same exact thing. But I got called out mostly on his hair. Either his hair was too greasy, and they think that I'm making him use my hair products, which I did. Wow. <laughs> um, or, um, or, I was, yeah, or I was told I made him look like Opie many times, which he was cute to me. He was a precious little yeah. thing. So, so look, I was right there in the midst of this conversation, so I have to go back because um, that's that's funny, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because <laughs> I think on the other side, Brian, I know a lot of people that are parenting. African-Americans and they are feeling the same way um, yes. with the challenges of, I don't know what to do. And I hope that I get a chance to share this story to help some of uh, my friends that are, you know, dealing with that, because I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that hit me um, is that we have to, for the sake of the children, go to someone. Like if you didn't, if you don't know, then it's like, well, you know, let's find somebody with blonde hair and that's similar texture, similar thing of his. Right. And find out what, let's go to Paul Mitchell, let's go to the mall and let's look, just show me what. And it's even the same way with African Americans. And I think I, what I love about what you said is that you're not raising him. He's getting the opportunity to see another culture that's outside of his as a family. He's Absolutely. being connected to that. But at the same time, you're telling him now, this is not who you are. 
but I'm going to help you to still be able to see who you are through your own eyes. But in this, because I think that's so important. I mean, you don't get African-American children and then say, okay, I'm going to raise them to be Caucasian. That, that, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about that? I just, I struggle with that. Now that, and that is the issue. Um, mind you, um, and I, I know some friends who are actually, there's a set of friends now where they are raising um, two African-American children. Um, they're, they, they do a wonderful job. Um, I'm trying to remember, they asked me about the hair products. I have been asked before um, by maybe white females who has a biracial child, whether um, of their own through um, birth or through adoption, what to do. But it's a simple conversation. Um, the, only time, the only time it's a problem is because I'm a male, maybe a female who happens to be white, although they're my friends, but because they assume, not because I'm black, but assume because I'm a male, I don't know what to do with the child's hair. So that's that's the simplest form. Um, it gets more extreme, which I think Marcus was um, going toward. Um, and that is where people, how do people feel about me raising a child? The stares, um, the looks, um, <laughs> um, am I gonna be stopped because I have a Caucasian child? And by the grace of God, I have not. Now, I have been, I've had double takes before. Um, the last time we flew um, to California, um, and I think I had a law enforcement officer while I was traveling uh, who spoke, but when he saw James was on the other side of the car, um, he was quite professional. He pulled up, turned around, kept smiling, waving at us, checking his computer at the same time, just to make sure there wasn't a, um, um, an alert out. And, um, but he didn't bother us. And so I just tell James, James, please speak, please wave, um, which he always had a problem with. And that presented a problem. Boy, turn around, look at them, <laughs> wave <laughs> and speak. This is not the time to be shy, son. Let them know you're okay. Well, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's again, um, I think eye opening coming from the other, because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, and, I want I want the world to understand. I have I have Caucasian friends that have adopted African American children, and they love those kids. Absolutely, would die for them, do anything for them. But I'm almost for certain, 100 percent of the time, they never have to go through that. They don't have, they don't ever have to worry about a cop wondering if there's something, there, there's something going on there. But in the opposite range with you, you do. Right. And man, I mean, that's uh, that's that's humbling, Brian. But still, it shows um, like, you know, my son, he's playing basketball right now and he knows better. And so he knows that he needs to give me that ball because we're trying to have this Facebook live and he has his candy. And boy, <laughs> so, Brian, um. I think that shows again a level of humility, but it also shows a level of commitment to you, to your son. And one thing I've never heard you say is, "This is my, this is my foster son. This is right. my son by adoption." You say James is your son, right. and that is a beautiful thing that goes beyond the level of just a, a superficial uh, name on some papers. And, yes. and you know, so. Um, let me, Marcus. Let me speak. Let me speak to what you. Something you said, because I because I did forget to mention that um, it is very unfair. I have seen in society. I have seen. I have walked into Walmart while another family is walking out. 
I'm walking in with my son who happens to be white. They're walking out with their kids, foster or or their children um, by law that are African-American and they'll be spoken to and then they stare at me. And I'm like, okay, what is the difference? We know what goes on in America. We know what all has happened, what has happened throughout history. I'm not calling America racist, but we already know we have issues that we still have not overcome yet. So while it's humbling, being an African-American male, what all have we not already had to deal with? So yeah. I've just, does that make sense? I chose not to be um, so defensive all the time and said, I'll just deal with it. Cause the most important thing was, and plus I didn't need him to see that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, Marcus, do you remember my um, foster kid? Of course I can't say last name, Billy. Yeah, I remember yeah. Billy. I remember Billy. Billy came maybe three years before James, maybe two years before James. It frustrated him to death. He could not stand the stairs. He saw them before I would in many case in, in many ways. So um it it was the this was the way that God had to deal with me. I was like, am I gonna get caught up in society? Um, or am I gonna stick with the word of God, like you said, and um and take care of this orphan, um, make him mine and move on. And so that's what I chose. You know, the Bible even tells us too. Um, I don't remember how it states it, not to be so offensive, to make sure you're not constantly on the defense. So, and Brian, you know, I'm, um, now Ebony has a question for you. Before before um, we answer that, I want to say something that I think is 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 true. One, I think America has become way too hypersensitive over racial. I'm talking about white and black uh, across all cultures, um, across all cultures. We've just become way too hypersensitive. And you're right, Brian. We need to learn that you know what, not everything requires a statement on social media. Not everything requires us to just totally just become so sensitive and and react. So kudos to you. Secondly, let's go ahead and and, uh, answer Ebony's question. What does James ask you when they stare, Brian? (laughs) The good thing about him, unlike Billy, um, um, who I've I missed. I haven't talked to him in a while. He usually keeps in touch, but um, he typically doesn't notice it. When what he does notice is if we go to a fast food restaurant, if we go to retail, and before serving me, they'll ask him, "Son, are you okay? Are you lost?" It makes him very uncomfortable. Um, and oh, jeez, I can't remember how many times he doesn't. He he's so used to it that he doesn't question it anymore. Typically what he does is he gets closer to me, like he almost hides in my back. Um, but that has been from day one until even today. So, um, but does he say anything when they stare? He really doesn't. He doesn't know better. Um, but Ebony, that's a good question, but he doesn't understand. Like I said earlier, he doesn't understand when I say, James, please turn and look at these people, wave and smile. If I'm on I-95, Marcus, um, not that I speak because the word of God tells us to obey the laws of the land. However, if by chance I pass someone, I have noticed that people have sped back up, <laughs> slow down the side of me and just slowly turn and look at James. I just tell him to wave. Just wave, James. <laughs> just wave. Um, wow. I, I, again, Brian, <clears throat> I think it shows a level of commitment to being a parent. Because I still say the same things, um, even though Camille is not mine biologically, I still, you still have the same defense mechanism 
built in to protect your child, right? You, that, that idea for community that you have for James. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, wow. Um, I, I've never thought about that. I'm sure that it's a little, it's a little disturbing, but do you understand people's ignorance? You do. You just come to understand people's ignorance and you don't get offended. You're right, Brian. You just have to let, kind of like let it be water off your back. My, my next question, and Chris, I'm sorry, honey, did you have, did you have a question? I, I had a question. I want to ask Brian. I, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about how, um, you know, you have you've given him such a wonderful opportunity in life so far. You know, like I know earlier we were talking about how the private organization allows you to be able to have funding that can help you to expose, you know, the children to different things. And I know like we've talked about camps, you know, different things educational wise that he's been exposed to. And, um, and you know, every time I see him. You know, he's always, you know, just just sharp as a tack from head to toe. And, and you know, but it says something. It says something to me that says this is a parent that cares, not only on paper, but, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I'm really reaching out. You know, parents, if you are parenting children that are of an opposite race, please make sure that they are represented in the best light. That when they're with you or if they're seen by someone else, you know, and I'm big on this hair thing because, you know, especially as an African-American woman, you know, I got put on blast last night. I went to see Kev on stage. It was so fun. I have to say this. And I had on my ball cap, but I was trying to be cute. But he was doing a little comic comedy set. He came up to me. He was like, I prophesy. He said, I see you in that hat. And I said, time to get your hair done. And that's why you can't. He got me, Brian. And I was like, oh, my but, you know, and, and so I looked at that and I was like, I should have known better. And so hair is and I just say this because, you know, our, and the Bible even talks about the crown, you know, like a woman's hair is her crown, especially if you have a, a female child that you do the best you can, that you yeah. reach out to, you know, those who are outside of your race that know how to cultivate it. It's not taken away from who you are. And I think what you've done with James is you said, I'm not going to be selfish in this. This is my child and I'm going to love him. And I'm going to also, as time goes, because he's going on, you know, approaching 18 and, you know, he's approaching, you know, manhood and, 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 you know, his young adult years and all of that. And so relationships are going to be important for him. And he's going to, you know, need to see that I can have relationships that are a part of who I am, where I come from, as well as what I'm used to in my family. And it's it's a blessing in that because he'll be received by many, you know, because of those experiences. And that's what I believe. So I'm just, you know, just thinking about all these things. I, I think, um, Brian, this is the, 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 the great thing about adopting across race is that you get a chance. That child gets a chance to experience their culture that they can identify with. But they're also learning a different culture. Absolutely. And they're learning it under the umbrella of safety. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a really cool thing that I think we don't take enough time to really look at. And the one thing that I see some parents that have adopted across race is they don't give that child a chance to experience their culture. So what do you mean by that, Marcus? I mean, let's, let's just be straight up honest, all right? This is one thing I, I have to touch on because it's real. I don't care if it is... James 
if James, if Brian, just to say you did not allow James to identify with his with with his Caucasian culture, I don't care how much James wanted to be black. Mm -hmm. Society is always going to view him as what white, and that's okay. Why? Because he is, he is white. white. But the beauty of him living with you and 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 experiencing culture. Yeah. A different cultures, it's under the umbrella of safety. It's under yeah. the umbrella of care and love. And that's why I am completely for mm -hmm. cultures adopting a cross race. Why? Because you get a cross pollination. Well, and can I say, Brian, yeah. it's also changing your world because we know you growing up in a truly African American. <laughs> we know you go to church in an African American church. You know, we know that. And so this is interesting because now you're saying to yourself that, you know what, I am allowing myself to be open to now learning outside of who I am, you know, for the sake of my son. You know, it's just like, you know, both of us, we have a desire for major. Our son right now, who I truly believe at age six sees no color still. And I think it's really because that we have just, We've been so grateful to have families that have embraced friendships with him, whether it be on the sports team or, you know, he knows you may see that there's not anyone else that's just like him, but he's cool with it. Yeah. You know, he actually may even think it's a little cool, you know, that he is. But, you know, there's still that friendship. There's not that feeling of less than there's not that feeling of, you know, difference. You know, we haven't crossed that yet. You know, as far as like with having to like say, hey. You know, some people feel this way, and that's why. I mean, we'll, we will teach that. We'll educate that, just like you have to, you know, educate him on okay. why the things are going down the way they are. So, so Brian, um, can you give can you some more? Something? Oh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Oh no, you. I was. I was listening to. Um, one of the things that Crystal said again. Um, females, regardless, you know, there's more races, of course, than black and white. Um, we have several. Um. My, my my friends, my associates, my colleagues are of all cultures. Um, so I lean on all of them for um, parenting advice, especially those who've been parenting longer than me. Um, but yeah, the hair thing, whether it's a male child or a girl child, is going to always be an issue. But take, for example, one of the things I don't know if I ever told you before was I was trying to make sure that when I dressed him, that not only did I give him the little boy experience, make sure he had the, you know the perfect tie for Easter, things of that nature, a cute suit. But I, I tried to make sure it, it's impossible for me, I think, for church to make him look African-American. I know some people say, well, if you add a certain style to a suit, I just bought him regular suits. Um, I, if Crystal, you don't remember taking me shopping, but one of the things um, somebody had to bring to my attention was when he started to have his own opinion about clothing, mm -hmm. um, and he wanted to wear some clothing that I thought was maybe either too urban um, or I thought it was too skateboardish looking. I had to remember, you know what, not only, um, although he is white may not be, be important, um, you know, cause I'm not trying to raise him to be black or white. I know, I know you know where I'm going. I still gotta let him be a child, period. And every child goes through a phase where they wanna try some, um, some clothing. And, but luckily I have good enough friends for somebody to mention it to me and say, Brian, relax, it's okay. Yeah. Everybody has the best intention. Yeah. Just, just let him be, let him experience. And so um, I did. So what does he wear now? Everything. <laughs> okay. Everything. 
So. Yeah. Well, no, that, that's cool. I mean, I, and, and that means that he's a teenager. That's all that right. means, you know, that he's right. really, you know, he's not feeling like he has to, you know, and it's and like I say, I, you know, I just, now we're now I'm thinking about Camille, you know, when, when they were in high school, you know, it was just all about, well, who are you hanging with, you know? And the more you know who, then you just kind of know why they make the choices they make. And it sounds like he's just in that normal phase of life with you. Yeah, we Oh my, like eight years ago. So, you know, Brian, I, I think, um, you know, hair care, I get it. Yeah. Ask, ask, <laughs> ask for yeah. help. Um, what, what, how do you, in terms of dating, in terms of dating, how do you vet the people that you're dating to make sure that <laughs> align Amen. with your family dynamic, right? And that, you know, they they don't pose, they're not threatened and they don't pose a threat, right? So how do you how do you manage that? Um, believe it or not, I don't. <laughs> I just don't. I don't vet because to make sure that I'm treating him as my child. Um, I decided I'm, I'm very careful when I, when I, you know, I, I, I'm peculiar anyway. So when I see a female and we're dating and, um, and she asked me, do you have any children? Or we talk about her children. Um, I explained to her, yes, I adopted a child. Oh yeah. White male. I always say, I don't even say white male. I say, yeah. Um, blue eyes, blonde hair. Um, anybody can typically figure out that that would most likely mean Caucasian. Um, I've never had any of the females who I've dated say that was a problem. So, um, if it was if the relationship was a go further and it became a problem for them, then the problem would be for them. <laughs> it wouldn't be for me. And that's how I feel about it, because just as you know, when the when the word of God says, though we were Gentiles, um, um, he provided salvation to us and we are now his children. We are legally his children. There is no discussion about it. He's justified us and everything. It's the same thing with him. Legally, he is mine. It doesn't have to be biological. Um, 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 because it's legal because it's legal, um, that transcends anything else that's needed. I mean, does, does, does that make sense? So if there, if I meet a female who is not willing to accept them, then, um, what did the rapper say? What did the songwriter say? On to the next one. That's, that's where we go <laughs> on to it's the next one. The approach that I think the single mother, you know, not saying it could be this. Now we're talking about the single father, but I know that. Now we're dealing with single fatherhood right now with what you're saying, because that's a whole nother piece, you know, and um, we have another friend that, you know, we could, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about as well that we could maybe bring on just in dealing with single fatherhood, because that's just huge in itself, you know, raising and, ha and taking on the whole responsibility. And I remember what you said about some of the women, you know, that little nurturing side of us, like, well, do you know how to use the comb? Can you? I could just see that because. We assume that that's what we can, you know, only, and you always hear, well, dad's kid, yeah. oh, Lord, that we were left with dad, and we had hair all over our heads looking <laughs> crazy, you know, and our buddy Anjan, you know, I think he broke that, uh, that mold. He did a video um, maybe a couple months ago where he was neatly braiding his daughter's hair and showing that, hey, you know, <laughs> got it down, you know, and, and so I just think that, um, you know, it's it's just so important that, you know, we even talk about things like that, just how, you know, you're having to take on both of these concepts, you know, in, in essence, you know, there's some things about the nurturing in, and I'm so grateful, like you said, about mom and how your family has embraced him because you have enough mothers, 
that are surrounding him, that are giving him that element. But then now you provide the strength. You provide the, and I, and Marcus, you used the word, you said that he felt safe. But I tell you what it really is. He felt love, loved and true love. It, it you know, it, it comes with things like, you know, feeling safe and feeling secure that this person is not just, you know, oh, you know, is this temporary or what, you know, am I going to be gone in the next, you know, not having to look behind my back and all this stuff, but he felt confidence. You know, Marcus, I think more embarrassing because I know he can hear me. Uh, the first day this boy came to me, <laughs> I gave him a towel, luxury towel and everything, had his little bedroom, set him everything. He comes out the um out the shower buck naked. Well, what is you doing? Oh, I'm just going to my room. <laughs> no son. <laughs> Too comfortable. But having said that, the reason why I say that is because when you talk about safety, yeah. The thing I notice about most foster kids, the average foster kid, when they would speak with their mother, their grandmother, um, whatever relative that they were still connected with, when they spoke with their social worker or their um, placement coordinator, the one thing they always said is, oh, um, I slept good last night. Um, oh, I was comfortable, which opened my eyes that safety was a real issue. Mm. One thing that people don't consider, um, um, even in school, people don't understand kids don't feel safe. So one of the reasons why, Marcus, we were discussing this earlier, one of the reasons why some of these kids go out and act as if they don't have any home training is because regardless of what training they do have, if they don't feel safe at home, they're constantly on the defense and always worried. Remember, we discussed that earlier. Um, so it's easy for me to understand why some kids act the way they do. But um, remember, I told you the first week he came, um, some of my students came around, a ton of them that looked like us. Um, he said to me plainly, I've never, um, I didn't grow up around brown people. Wow. And so, and so because he, and, and so I said, well, it's okay. They're not going to harm you. The one thing where the average person would have gotten defensive, um, I chose not to. And so I simply said, just, I simply said to him, son, um, you won't come in contact with a lot of people. Um, within a month of him being with me, he says out of the blue, I love brown people. I love Jesus. Mm. It says a lot. People don't understand what we impose on kids. A lot of the way kids turn out bad is simply because of what we have said and what we have shown them and what we have exposed to him. Um, and so he said this in front of a, if I remember correctly, an elderly lady. And the lady looked at me and said, what did his family do to him? What did somebody do to him? I said, ma'am, um, I don't know. She said, and she said to me, if he's telling you he loves brown people and he loves Jesus, she brought this to my attention. He feels safe. He feels love. And you make sure you keep that um, provided in his life. You know, old, you know, I, I hate to say it, old black women, they're going to put their, especially in the church, they're going to put their two cents in. And many of them did. Um, and they still <laughs> check on him to this day. <laughs> when we come in and, you know, you, you best not disrespect one of the mothers of the church or, you, you know, you're going to get a rebuke. Um, so I had to, yeah. to teach him. Hey, that's the mother of the church, son. <laughs> Not your mother, but the mother of the church. When she asks you questions, stop. Don't be in a rush <laughs> because it ain't going to matter. They're not going to release you until they're. That's just some culture. You know, that's just some culture. Culture. Oh, definitely. Wow. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Um, so, Brian, are you looking at adopting any more children um, in the future? Well, remember, James was the second child I tried to adopt. The first child I tried to adopt was African-American male, but plainly stated, um, 
discrimination and prejudice jumped in. And let me clarify, um, there was a child that was on the news. Um, the news here where I live at, at one point in time was running um, weekly um, ads of children who were up for adoption. So they would do an interview, um, say what the child's likes are, um, what their strengths are, and then they may interview the foster parent or the a or a representative from an agency, whether it be DSS or a private agency, and they would say, well, this child needs this type of love, this type of support. And so um, I called, it was in a rural um, county, a county that's mostly rural, but has um, has a city in it and actually has at least one military base. I don't want to put them out. I don't want to put my state of North Carolina out like that. But I called. Um, the lady said she was interested. Um, she told me to call whenever I was in the area and I could meet the child. On two or three different occasions, I did this. I gave her my um, my referrals, my recommendation, no, not recommend, my referrals, people that she can contact for a character reference, one of them being a supervisor. And after about six months, finally, um, I asked my supervisor if she ever got the call. She told me she did, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna speed it up. Um, and not only did she get the call, I said, well, why do you think they're not returning my calls? And, you know, people, now this supervisor is no longer um, um, in position. They, they've moved on to bigger and better things. She said, you know, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but because it did not directly correlate with what we were doing confidentiality wise, she said, I'm gonna tell you, she called me, she asked me questions. And the question was, why would an educated black male who is single want to adopt a child? Um, when you're dealing with adoption, when you're dealing with foster care, there's an element even when you're dealing with education, there's an element you're never supposed to, a line you're never supposed to cross. It's not your business. Um, if a person is single or married, you can find that out. That can be a strength or a weakness. Um, their sexual preference, their dating um, status, things of that nature. But um, she was making some assumptions and my supervisor went beyond <laughs> the call of duty and said, you know, not, not that it's any of your business, but he is dating someone and it is a female. Um, um, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. He's a wonderful person or else I would not have allowed him to be with this age. Wow. He's had over six years. Long so short, another six months, months went by. I called her. I finally called her supervisor and the supervisor finally said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but that child um, has been adopted by a two parent family. I'm not quite sure why that was um, stated, but it was. And I said to her, this social worker didn't return several of my calls. Um, and I I just made a complaint, not a formal or an official complaint, and I moved on. So yes, the first child I tried to adopt, having said that, Marcus, I've from then on, from all the kids I've ever dealt with, I don't want to necessarily be a whistleblower, but I feel like sometimes people who are in power feel as if they're making the world better by forcing or pushing interracial um, adoptions. Um, why not just push adoption? Uh, you know, why does it have to be just push adoption? Whoever is available, let it be. Let life, let life go where it is. But I will tell you, those cute little um, um, African-American kids that you've seen walking around, I've never been brought not one ever mm -hmm. in 13 years. The, the, the smallest, cutest kids I've ever been brought um, have all been severely um, abused or damaged. The youngest one I ever had had was suffering from brain damage. Wow. So 
Um, so, you know, you tell me, I've been willing to adopt for over 10 years. Why, wow. why hasn't the um, conversation come up? I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that, but it says a lot. That's huge right there, because that makes me say, you know, if I can just be real with what came to my mind, it's almost <laughs> like, you know, when you go to the pet store and you're looking for mm. that pet that's, that's that's cute and little versus the one that hasn't had any, you know, that, you know, was born of the you know, the mother immediately and, and, and wasn't put out into society and didn't have any any challenges or how was that birth? You know, was it, you know, were they drug addicts or, you know, that kind of thing. And so then there's this hierarchy. There's this ramp of, you know, how they're and I don't know. I'm just looking at this like, wow, you know, you're right. Like, you know, is it is it, you know, everyone's dream to have this African-American child with, you know, these little curls and oh, they're just so cute. And is that what you're doing? Or is it really a life that you're wanting to like change because you see what has happened with that life? And I'm just, I mean, you brought it up, Bryce. I had to look at that and say, what is going on? Because, you know, and I don't know, was that family African-American or were they not? Do you know? They didn't tell. I was told. I, you, if I remember correctly, it wasn't a, um, a black family. It okay. was a black family. So, um, so there, there can be discrimination, Brian, what you're telling me. You can be discriminated against because you're single and not married. Oh, or oh, single male and not oh, married. Oh, oh, absolutely. Y'all, people that are listening out there, wow. So I think, Brian, you're, you're educated. I know we've been educated today. Yes. Um, I hope the people that are listening can be educated that I, I really know love has no color. Brian, I thank you that there yeah. are good brothers out there, good people out there that are willing to adopt regardless yeah. of race, because at the end of the day, it's about loving and caring for a child. So yeah. I know we're, we're, uh, we, man, you've given us a whole hour of your time. I definitely want to have you back. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that we ought to bring Brian back and, and talk about um, the adoption piece a little bit deeper because um, okay. we were, you know, we were considering. We still are. Um, okay. <laughs> Amen. We still, we, still we still adopting. I learned one more. But Marcus, you know, I do have one more comment um, for, for, you know, because I always worry. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I know you remember this. always worried about what people thought. There's always going to be that one person that says, well, why did it have to be a white kid? Why couldn't you adopt a black kid? I kind of just said why, but you also know, Marcus, you've been on the phone when I've had other black children in the car that weren't foster kids that are from the community. Um, if if I wanted to name how many kids I consider my own, that I consider that I mentor, that I'm a father to them in some sense, uh, the numbers would be over 20. So there's several, black, Caucasian, um, um, Indian, Asian, there's tons of kids. Um, um, so just in case there's that one person that wants to put a comment up later on Facebook, well, what about the, what about other black kids? I mentor any and everybody. If you're open to um, mentorship, um, Hey, I I'm there for you. As long as you don't rob me. <laughs> but I think, I think we both even just felt that this was a leading of the Lord, you know, more than anything, um, with you. 
because we were there, like when you all came down and visited, I think you were about to do the process or you had just finished because was it Thanksgiving? Right. It was right around it. And so I remember I was just like, wow, you know, being able to spend time with them for that week and just really just seeing um, what, you know, look, look, this, look, oh, Jesus, what this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is real. You know, uh-huh. this doesn't feel like, you know, synthetic fiber. This feels like there's life in this relationship. This is not like, oh, this is awkward. We signed a paper and then like, you know, I'm just your protector. No, you are fathering this child. This is your, this is your son. And, you know, and I just love it. I love it because, you know, hey, it's, we can do life in those experiences together too. But, you know, I just think you're helping so many people with, with talking about the racial things that go on, like you said, in society, even on the flip, you know, with having him there and people thinking, well, is he okay? Because you, you know, you're, yeah. And he's getting older and I know he's taller. Is he real tall? So, I mean, I'm my height. He thinks he's taller than me. Well, see, he, he probably is. I just don't want him to know that yet. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, he, yeah. He's six so wow. I don't know. His biological father is six foot three. So. Wow. Okay. So we need to put him in Carolina basketball camp. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Help me pay for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm just. Come on. Let's, did you see my comment? Did you see my comment, Marcus? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Wow. Oh, wow. And that and is, I think that yeah. is a phenomenon nobody's bringing um, attention to. Wow. People are giving foster care, foster children back, back. giving mm-hmm. them back to the system. Wow. Nobody, nobody wants to talk about it, but it has happened on so many occasions. Wow. Wow. Brian, you know what? We're going to have to bring you back because. Um, I think this is a a great topic. There are couples out there that want to have kids, but they can't. So adoption is um, the alternative they're looking for. Mm -hmm. They're they're considering it. And I think that giving uh, having someone on the show like you that has experienced it Mm -hmm. um, really would be a great thing to um, explore a little further and answer some questions. So what we'll do next time. Um, here coming up soon, maybe in the uh, November, December time from or, or next year, is get some questions going and um, have have them ready. A weeks, yeah, yeah, maybe in a couple of weeks. But we man, I want to say thank you so much, man, for joining us. <laughs> tell James I said hello. Um, tell him we both said hello. And and, and Brian, just want to say thank you, man. Um, this can hey, um, I want this to be shared. Y'all share this uh, update if you want. If you want to know. Any more about Markets Home, just go to Strong Blend, type in pound Strong Blend, hashtag Strong Blend on Facebook. That's a way to get in contact with us. You can also go to, uh, what is it, uh, on Facebook.com. You go to Marcus A. Homes, right? And Instagram is the same. Instagram, Twitter, it's all Marcus, uh, middle initial A, Homes. Get with us. Brian, you're doing some great things, man, not only as a teacher, not only as an educator, um, a social worker, but being a father, helping helping these these young men and boys become men. So I just yes. want to say kudos to you, man. You're awesome. Keep doing it, buddy. Stay encouraged um, and just want to let you know we love you. Yes, Crystal. Had, in, yes, in, one thing. in this hour where fatherlessness is such a huge issue in the world, much less in our country. 
Uh, I just want to applaud you because you have been an example of what it means to be a father. You know, Christ was the father. Look, we are all adopted. We're all his adopted children. We're not official lineage of Jesus Christ, but by the adoption. And so I, I look at what you're doing as such an example of what it means to take those, you know, when it says he's married to the backslider, it's almost like, you know, I think about that relationship, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we did, he still takes us in and he loves us and he's adopted us. And so if, if anyone has a question why you do what you do, I think it's the love of God. Number one is in your life. And, and I just think that it's, it's a huge example that if you want to know, know what fatherhood is about, you know, it's about taking and picking up the slack for someone and seeing that that life, you know, you have a seed giving in your words alone, there's seed life that you can pour into another child. So thank you so much. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later, man. Um, give you a call later on this week. You have a good one. Facebook family, YouTube family, uh, web family, internet family. Just want to let you know we're the blended family. I'm the blended family guy. This is the blended family. Um, out of no disrespect, the, the girl, my girlfriend, she's still doing it. We're still making it happen. Uh, we got to go spend some time with our son. So we're checking out before we put him in bed. We're going to spend some time with him. We'll catch you next week. Talk to you later. Love you guys. Remember, take your family from just surviving to overwhelmingly thriving. You can make it. You will make it. Don't give up on your family. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.